I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts 23. Acts 23. We are making our way still through the book of Acts and uh, kind of getting near the end. We're, uh, we're probably going to wrap up the book of Acts by the end of the calendar year. And, um, and then once you weave in a few breaks there for Thanksgiving, Christmas, that kind of thing, Probably at the beginning of next year, we'll be starting a new series. So I'm looking forward to um, wrapping up the book of Acts. Here in Acts 23, if you remember the context, we have Paul who's made his way to Jerusalem. He's had his eyes set on Jerusalem for quite some time. Unfortunately, things did not go well for him in Jerusalem, and we are right in the midst of a trial that he is facing where uh, things continue to get more complicated for him. So I'm going to read the first few verses for us, and then we will make our way through the chapter as we progress through the message this morning. So let's read together. We're going to back up one verse so that we have our context. Uh, We'll back up to chapter 22, verse 30, and then do a little bit of reading in chapter 23 um, before we uh, pause and ask for God's help. This is God's Word. And the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he, reached, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all the council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You should not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that the part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And then there arose a loud outcry, And the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. There was, uh, now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Father, we do pray in these moments that we have together that you would help our understanding and help your word to penetrate deep within our hearts. Uh, Use your word. May your spirit speak to us by it. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Did you ever have something when you were a young person go terribly bad? Maybe it was a circumstance that was out of your control. Maybe Maybe you had just started driving and you were out enjoying your freedom and you had your first wreck. It's happened. I mean, it happens. At some point, you're going to have your first wreck. So you, of course, back then, it would have been a payphone, depending on your age. 
If not, if you're a little younger, maybe you picked up your cell phone and your first call was hopefully to mom and dad, right? Like, help, I don't know what to do. Like, I've got a disaster on my hands. And of course, your, your mother or father probably came running to the rescue, helping to set the situation straight, helping you to navigate this situation. And, and you realize in that moment that you're not quite as old as you thought you were. You're not quite as independent as you thought you were. No, in fact, in reality, you, you still need mom and dad to help you with your situation. We sometimes do that as believers. We, we're enjoying our independence. We're enjoying our, our, our cruising along through life happily that everything's going well and we have everything under control and then a situation comes along that is beyond our capacity to handle. And it's in those moments that we sometimes realize, oh yes, I do need my father after all. I, I don't have things quite as under control as I thought they did. And in those moments, we are called upon to trust God. We are to obey Him, and, and we see all throughout the pages of Scripture that, that, that God's servants are, are blessed as they obey Him, but as we obey Him, we, we must do so trustingly. And so this morning before us is, is a, a, a simple story a narrative that reminds Paul that should remind us to trustingly obey God. And so for us this morning, the challenge is just that, to trustingly obey God. God uses human action to accomplish His own sovereign purposes. And in this chapter, we see God using the actions of, of a few to accomplish His purpose. And so because of that, we can reflect on those truths and be reminded ourselves to trustingly obey God. Now, why is that, that we should trustingly obey God? Well, we looked at the first section of chapter 23, and we're reminded that, that we are called upon to obey God, and we are to obey Him with, with full-hearted trust, because the fact is, we are going to mess up situations. We are going to err. We are going to make mistakes. Now, do you ever make a mistake? Do you ever mess things up? Do you ever cry out to God and be like, boy, I royally, Lord, I, I royally screwed this one up. I mean, this is just, I, I, ee, what do I do now? I messed up this situation. Well, Paul made some strategic errors in this chapter. And you notice in the first part of chapter 23 here, beginning in, in, in verse 2, that Paul kind of smarts off to the high priest, right? You, you, we read it together. Um, the high priest commands him to be struck, and he, he smarts off to the high priest. And then he's immediately called into question for it. But then he backpedals, right? He, he immediately recognizes the error of what he had done. He says, um, in verse 5, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. Now, why did he not know? Well, it's possible um, that he was not wearing his high priestly garb. This was not a public ceremony, and so it's very possible that he was not dressed in a way that would demark him as the, the high priest. This is also early, early in the morning and may even yet still be dark. 
Um, furthermore, some, some scholars posit that, that Paul may have had an eyesight problem. Um, and there's a few little clues in Scripture that, that we kind of put together and think, well, maybe, maybe there was some, some eyesight challenge that Paul had. But for whatever reason, he did not recognize the one who had given the order as the high priest. And so he maligns him and then me- immediately is corrected. And, and to Paul's credit, steps back. And says, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't realize what I was doing. Now, Paul goes on in this dialogue and he, he does something that uh, is, is interesting here in verse, uh, verse 6 and 7. He brings up a topic that he knows will be hotly debated within the two factions. It's kind of like, like walking into Congress. And, and bringing up the most contentious issue between the Republicans and the Democrats, and then just watching them duke it out. I mean, that's what he does. So you understand that the Sadducees were the religious liberals of the day. They were the ones that denied the supernatural. They were the ones that said there is no resurrection, there is no, uh, uh, really essentially there is no afterlife because there's no resurrection. It, all the things that are miraculous were, were denied by the Sadducees. They were the religious liberals. They were the modernists of their day. On the other hand, you have the Pharisees who, who as of course we still continue to use that as a pejorative term, these were the legalists of the day, right? They were, they were very proud of, of how literally they took God's law, even to such an extent that they had foisted their own layer of expectation on top of it, right? They had, they had coded God's law with these human rules, these human expectations, and they were fastidious about the application of them. They were they were the legalists of the day. Well, when they had a common enemy, they could work together. But when you brought up the things that they didn't agree on, now we've got some really intense wrangling going on. Well, that's what Paul does. Paul's like, yeah, you know why I'm here? Oh, by the way, I'm a Pharisee. I'm the son of a Pharisee. And I'm here because I believe in the resurrection. Boom, the whole thing blows up. And these two factions begin to fight with themselves. Now, I cannot fully explain to you. I'm not sure I totally understand. But it's interesting that when Paul, in the next chapter, stands before Felix, he cites this as an error. In fact, he says, this is the only thing that they can bring up against me, is that I dropped this grenade in the middle of their, of their group. And so Paul apparently, uh, to at least to some extent, saw that as a strategic error as well. So all of that to simply say this. This did not go well for Paul. I mean, do you see how it ends? Like they had to send the soldiers in to pull him out so he doesn't get ripped, literally ripped apart. I mean, they're not just mad. They are gunning for him. They are now in a violent uproar. And Paul, again, it seems like Paul goes through this a lot. Paul, again, has to be saved by by the Roman authorities. So, things didn't go well for Paul. Paul wanted to make his way to Jerusalem so that, that he could give the gospel in the very center, the very heart of where his 
beloved Jewish people lived. And from the moment he arrived in Jerusalem, things did not go well. Things did not go according to plan. Does that ever happen to you? You have a great plan on how you're going to serve the Lord and how you're going to do something effectively. Maybe it is witnessing to that coworker or neighbor. Maybe it is starting a ministry. Maybe it is turning over a new leaf in your relationship at, at, at home and, and being what you ought to be as a mother or a father or, or a husband or a wife, and things just blow up in your face. No, pastor, that never happens to me. <laughs> we have this happen. And, and the reality is that, that we are going to err. We are going to mess things up. And in those moments, we must take comfort in the reality that we can trust God. You see, theologians have been struggling for centuries to find a good explanation for how God can be sovereign. God can be supremely the one in control. God is sovereign, yet man can mess up. Because the reality is we do. We make mistakes. We make foolish choices. We even make sinful choices. But those choices never threaten God's sovereignty. You say, explain that to me, Pastor. I can't. But I do know that we will make foolish choices and nothing has escaped God's control. The Scripture affirms it again and again and again. God is in control. Even when we look at the mess that we've made, even when we look at the foolish things that we've done, even when we, we with repentance and regret, look back on our sinful choices... We take comfort in the fact that God can orchestrate all of those things for His good purposes. What does Romans say? We know that all things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. God is working His plan in your life and my life even when we mess things up. And so we can trustingly obey God, and we must, because we won't always get it right. What a comfort we can take in God's sovereignty when we don't get it right, when we do err, when things don't go according to the plan that we have made, that we can trust Him. Well, there are also situations that are beyond our control, and for that reason, we should obey God trustingly as well. You and I can't control all circumstances. It's interesting here in verse uh, 16 through 19. Let's back up a little bit to uh, verse 12. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under oath, saying that he would need, they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Now, there were more than 40 who formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath, and we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though we were going to make some further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son 
heard of their ambush, he went and entered to the barracks and told Paul. Now let's just pause for a moment. You have this faction of people who are so angry with Paul that they have bound themselves together and said, we're not going to eat or drink until Paul is dead. I don't think they kept their oath. At some point they probably, because, Paul, because their, their, their plan didn't work. But they are so committed to Paul's death that they are not going to eat or drink until he's, he's dead. So they hatch this conspiracy whereby they're going to ask the Roman authority to bring him down. Let's, let's have another trial. Let's try this again. We want to dig more deeply into this, but that was all just a facade to get him out in the open so that he could be killed. Well, we don't know exactly how it happened, but somehow Paul's nephew got wind of this plot to destroy him. And so Paul's nephew, of course, uh, hears about their ambush, and he's not sure what to do. He's a, he's a young man. Uh, it's very likely from the word that is used here, he could have been um, a, a, an older boy, a, perhaps a, a teenager, um, and he's not sure how to handle this situation. So he does a very wise thing. He goes to the one who, who knows what to do, the one who is not only in touch with God, but is on a mission from God and it has the discernment to know how to handle the situation. Young people, there's a lesson in that. You won't know how to handle every situation. It is good for you as a young person to seek out the counsel of those who can, who can say, okay, this is the information we have. Let's think this through. Let's handle it in this way. This young man says, I don't really know what to do about this. I'm not in control of this situation, but let's seek out the counsel of someone who does know how to make the situation. So he goes to this house where Uncle Paul is being held captive, and he makes known to Paul what is taking place here. So then in verse 17, Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander for he has something to tell him. Isn't that interesting that Paul is not only being protected, but is respected by those who are around him such that he can call a Roman centurion over and say, hey, come here, I want you to do something for me. And that's exactly what he does. Verse 18, so he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Verse 19, the commander took him aside by the hand uh, and went aside and asked privately, what is it you have to tell me? He said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him, but do not yield for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will either ne- eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So he reveals to him this plot to take the life of Paul. And the commander tells the young man to go his way, don't tell anyone. And he calls for two centurions, saying, prepare 200, um, in verse 23, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. So he responds as the Roman Empire tended to respond, (laughs) by throwing an abundance of force at the situation. 
I mean, they bring up this entire entourage to protect Paul, to, to whisk him away to the governor uh, where he, the case will be more fully heard. And obviously, that kind of force immediately short circuits the intended plot against Paul's life. So here's a young man. We don't even know his name. A young man who, who is unknown, but he bravely did what he could do. He, he exercised wisdom and discernment. He could not control the situation. He could not save Paul's life. But he did what he could do. Paul himself could do very little to save his own life. But he conducted himself wisely, leveraged the opportunity that he had, the influence that he had, and got the information to the right place. Neither one of these men could really do anything to mobilize the forces of Rome to Paul's protection. Yet, the forces of Rome were mobilized to protect Paul. You know, there are situations that are beyond our control. Paul couldn't control the situation. His nephew couldn't control the situation. But isn't it a blessing to know that although we can't control circumstances, we know the one who can control circumstances. And all of our lives should be framed by this notion that if God will. You can't do it. I can't do it. We can't make it happen. But God can make it happen. In 1902, a young English boy named Arthur Pink, who would grow up to become a well-known preacher, came down to breakfast to find his father reading the newspaper. The newspaper had information about the preparation for the first coronation in Britain in 64 years. His father sat at the breakfast table reading this story, and he said, I'm so sorry to see it worded like that. She said, what? Why? He said, here is a proclamation that on a certain day, Prince Edward will be crowned king at Westminster, and there is no Deo Valente, God willing. You see, it used to be tradition especially in formal invitations, that you would write, such and such will happen on a day, and then you would write the Latin words beneath it, Deo Valente, God willing. And his father was shaking his head, regretting that there was no Deo Valente. Well, the words stuck in this young man's mind, because on that very appointed day, the future Edward, who was to be crowned, was ill with appendicitis, and the coronation had to be postponed. Even the, the wealth and the prestige of the British crown could not get around the reality that we don't control circumstances. How much time and effort do we spend getting worked up over things that we cannot control. How much time do you and I spend fretting, hand-wringing, over things that are beyond our control? 
What we really, when what we really ought to be doing is taking comfort in the reality that, that we may not be able to control circumstances, but we know the one who can. I used to have a professor in college that said, it takes a lot of energy to be God. You ever do that? You just try to play, try to play God? You know how frustrating it is? You know how exhausting it is? And so sometimes when we find ourselves worked up, fearful, unsettled, stressed out, beside ourselves, maybe we just should, should pause and say, wait a minute, am I trying to do God's job? And maybe the reason that I'm so, so frustrated and, and stressed out and whatever word you want to use is because I'm trying to do something that's not my job to do. I can't control circumstances. And so for that reason, you and I should trustingly obey God. So what situation is it in your life that you are finding difficult, trying, unsettling? What is giving you anxiety? Ought we to be taking those situations and recognizing we don't control this? Now, to be sure, we are to fulfill our responsibility. We are sometimes called to act, and that's precisely what we should do. But when we have done all we can do, we must recognize that God controls the outcome. And that's really where our focus should be, and that's really where Paul's focus should be, which brings our attention to verse 11, which is nestled right in the middle of these two vignettes. So notice in verse 11, the very heart of, the very essence of what this passage is teaching us. The following night, so after everything goes to shambles at this, at this little trial that Paul was in, that next night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. You and I must trustingly obey God because of who he is. There are two simple but powerful truths that are tucked away for us in verse 11. The first one relates to God's presence to God's presence with his servants in the midst of hardship. Notice the first part of verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him. Now, we know God is always present, so we don't know exactly what this looked like in verse 11. Did, did Paul enjoy the physical presence of, of Christ with him on that night? Whatever is taking place here, there was an assurance to Paul that, that God is with you. And then the, 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 that reminds us that, that of God's presence. God, God is with us. Not just in the sense that He is all places at all times, but in the very special and real sense that when we are going through a hardship, when we are going through a trial, when, when things blow up in our face and plans don't go as they ought to and we can't control circumstances, God is there with us in the midst of that hardship. 
that very night, Christ was with him. And then the second truth that's tucked away for us in verse 11, uh, verse 11 centers on what God said to him. Verse 11, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. The truth that was given to comfort Paul, right? This is given to comfort him. It, be of good cheer. Cheer up. It's okay. Be encouraged, Paul. Why? Why should Paul be encouraged? Because God has a plan. You've testified here in Jerusalem, but guess what? God's got something else that he really is working towards. God has a plan. The situation, which seemed to be dim, was really an outworking of God's purposes to spread the gospel to Rome, the very seat of the empire. Paul had big dreams of preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. God had bigger plans, the spread of the gospel to the halls of power in Rome. So God was accomplishing something. He was, he was bringing about his purposes even in this disaster that Paul was looking at. I mean, this is not going well. My, my evangelistic campaign to Jerusalem is, is not going to go for weeks and weeks on end of, you know, a, a great revival. No, actually, God's got a different plan for you, Paul. And we ought to be comfort, comforted in the reality. Not only is God there with us in the midst of our hardship, but he is accomplishing his good purposes. Even when we don't know what he is up to, he does. Because God is loving, he wills what is best. Because he is wise, he knows what is best. Because he is sovereign, he has the power to accomplish what is best. The, the great theologian G.I. Packer, Packer defines providence this way. The unceasing activity of the Creator whereby in overflowing bounty and goodwill he upholds his creatures in ordered existence, guides and governs all events, circumstances, and the free acts of angels and men and directs everything to its appointed goal for his own glory. Simply put, we can take confidence in God's constant care for his people. Alexander the Great's father was Philip the Great. It is said that on one occasion, Philip the Great had a beautiful black horse presented to him. But the horse was wild and vicious, driven by fear, easily spooked, difficult to calm. The young Alexander, who would later in life be known as Alexander the Great, Alexander asks for a chance to ride him. The young Alexander noticed that this horse was afraid of shadows, even at times his own shadow. And so he took the horse and he turned him to face the sun, where the light washed away all the shadows. 
And then Alexander leapt up on his back. Soon, he would be galloping back and forth in the presence of the king. The horse needed merely to stop looking at the shadows and see the brightness of the sunlight. When circumstances are most troubling, when they're most puzzling, most unsettling, is when you and I must turn and look to the character of God. This is what happened in Paul's life here in verse 11. He was reminded once again of who God is. And so I don't know what circumstance you're going through this morning. Perhaps it's a health challenge. Perhaps it's a family difficulty. Perhaps it's a hardship in your workplace. Maybe it's just the disaster that is known as 2020. <laughs> like, can it get any worse? Can it get any more unsettling? When we go through circumstances that are like that, that are, that are difficult, that, that maybe we have messed up, or maybe there are circumstances that are beyond our control, our challenge is to look to the character of God who's always standing right there with us and who always has a plan, even when we don't understand what it is. And so we considered this morning that we ought to trustingly obey God because we will err, but, but the good news is that God will not. We ought to trustingly obey God because we can't control circumstances, but the wonderful assurance is that God does. And so, so really, for those reasons, we ought to trustingly obey God because of who He is. The one who is with us in our hardship, who always can be trusted because He has a plan that He is working for His purposes and for our good. And so whatever it is that you're going through this morning, what will you do this week to meditate on the character of God? Will you seek out those passages in Scripture that remind you of who He is, that answers your circumstance? Will you seek to take time to meditate and to pray those, those psalms that take rest and comfort in the character of the God who cares for you. This morning, you and I can, and we must, trustingly obey God. Father, we thank you for this passage, for this moment in the life of the Apostle Paul that reminds us that even this great warrior of the faith needed at times to be reminded of who you are and of your plan for him. Use this passage now in our hearts, not just today, but as we move forward and face difficult circumstances.